engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is 5.09. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Good evening. It's Friday. Thank goodness. We should make this an open container Friday, I do believe. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. There has been a shakeup at the White House. Uh, the biggest news story of the day, Sean Spicer is out. And he is out uh, largely, almost exclusively, because of Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, Scaramucci is a Trump hater, a Trump critic, a a guy who has long time been an opponent of Donald Trump's until he became the Republican nominee and then sucked up to him, uh, uh, became a chairman of his campaign, and, well, he's now going to be the communications director of the White House. Uh, Sean Spicer thoroughly disagreed with the decision. But it wasn't just Sean Spicer thoroughly disagreeing with the decision. Uh, apparently, from what I'm told, Kellyanne Conway disagreed, Reince Priebus disagreed, Steve Bannon disagreed, Sean Spicer disagreed, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders disagreed, and I'm missing one or two others. Uh, basically, there was complete disagreement except by the New Yorkers. Uh, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, and um, uh, Gary, what's his name, uh, Cohen, the the... White House economists, uh, head of the, the economic advisors. The, the three of them like this guy. Uh, no one else does. Anthony Scaramucci is a liberal's liberal. He is uh, pro-abortion, pro-gay marriage, uh, supports gun control efforts. In fact, has tweeted before that we need to round up everybody's guns. Uh, he is for Obamacare, supported the expansion of Obamacare. By the way, he doesn't like the president of the United States, or at least he didn't until recently. Here's a clip from Fox News uh, from back in 2015. Uh, this is the pre a, a clip of the president, and it is followed by Anthony Scaramucci's response on um, The Five on Fox News. Building buildings, I'll take a little... Let me see if I can get this from the beginning. There we go. Take a little bit of something. You build buildings, you put people to work. These hedge fund guys, they move around papers. Yeah. Wow, that was uh, Donald Trump. We got a hedge fund guy right another, here. Another, another hat. I'm papers. sorry, Maria Bartiromo, who's on with Maria Bartiromo. I'm moving around paper right now, Maria, but that's another <laughs> hack politician. You call he's Donald Trump a hack? He's a hack politician. Oh, he's probably going to make Elizabeth Warren his vice presidential nominee with comments like do think, that. Do you think he's a It's anti-American. It's very, very divisive. Do you think Donald's a plant? And I'll, I'll tell you who he's going to be president of. You can tell Donald I said this. The Queens County Bullies Association. You got to cut it out now and stop all this crazy rhetoric spinning okay. everybody's I heads. I like around. how you say that now, but okay. I've had a problem with the way he talked about women for years. And now way, I, don't, I don't like the way he talks about women. I don't like the way he talks about our friend Megyn Kelly. And you know what? The politicians don't want to go at Trump because he's got a big mouth and he's afraid he's going to light him up on Fox News and all these other places. But I'm not a politician. You're Bring it. Right, so why is he resonating? Why is he dude from Queens County? Bring it, Donald. Do, you, you're close Bring to it. Walker, right? <laughs> okay. Do you think, do you think you're Walker an inherited will do, money okay. dude right. from Queens County? Do you County. think Walker will do attack ads on him? I don't. I why don't. Not? Well, I think because he he's a smart guy and he knows he's going to implode without him having to do attack ads. How about ads. the packs? This sort of nonsense is going to cause him to eventually implode. How about the packs? I don't think they're going to spend their money on him. 
That's Anthony Scaramucci in 2015 about Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, thought he was a hack, uh, didn't like the way he talked about women, didn't like the way he talked about other people, said he was a bully. Uh, and now he's going to be the communications director for Donald Trump. Uh, also called him an inherited wealth guy from Queens County. Not a lot of respect for Donald Trump from Anthony Scaramucci. I know two different people who have said uh, they know Scaramucci. They, I do know they know Scaramucci, and they both say that he's referred to Donald Trump as, as a con artist in the past year and a not very bright con artist. So this is the guy who's going to be the communications director for the president. Again, big liberal. He gave money to Barack Obama, gave money to Joe Biden, gave money to Hillary Clinton, supported Jeb Bush, supported Scott Walker, uh, only came in with Donald Trump in the end. Uh, that's one of the chief reasons that Sean Spicer does not like the guy. Sean Spicer believes that he would be bringing in someone diametrically opposed to the values the president has expressed, uh, and he has no background as a communications director. And having been overruled by the president, Spicer did what he thought he had to do and quit. Now, there's more details and a possible additional shakeup coming, sources are telling me from the White House. I've even got the names associated with this. So you've got Scaramucci coming in, you've got um, Spicer leaving. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that's Mike Huckabee's daughter, is going to be the new press secretary. She gave an on-camera briefing today. I'm told we're probably going to see one or two more departures from the White House in protest over this. There is rumor afoot now actively, again, that Reince Priebus may be leaving. The president has uh, given his general counsel uh, overriding powers over the vice or rather over uh, Reince Priebus. But what I'm also told, there is a rumor now floating around Washington, D.C., actively floating around by reporters. It has not yet been reported. In fact, I'm told the New York Times was going to run it today and killed it because they can't get a handle on whether or not the rumor is true. So I'm putting that in perspective here so everyone understands. I, From what I'm told from multiple people, and they're all telling me the same story, they may all have the same source. Uh, from what I'm told, the, the New York Times, the political others, they're trying to run the story. They're trying to pin it down. They, they cannot get confirmation from anyone even behind the scenes yet. But I am told uh, that H.R. Uh, McMaster, the, um, the, the national security advisor to the president, that he is out, uh, that he is throwing in the towel, that he's gone. Uh, there has been some rumor that he may be transferred to Afghanistan, made the ambassador to Afghanistan, put in charge of Afghanistan. Uh, but I'm being told today that it is possible he is throwing in the towel and leaving. That uh, Mike Pompeo, the current CIA director, would become the national security advisor. And Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, would become the CIA director. That's, that is the rumor. Um, now, again, it, it is important to note here, this is a rumor that many members of the media apparently are trying to pin down. There's a lot of conversation about it. I've gotten text messages about it from people. I'm trading emails with people about it. Everyone's trying to confirm from everyone else that it's pinning down. It could just be a wild, crazy rumor on a Friday as there's an additional shakeup going on. What I would note that with the Spicer situation, whether you liked him or not, and I, I even, I mean, dear friends of Sean's, don't think he was a great press secretary. They, they think he largely embarrassed himself in the job. Uh, but they knew behind the scenes he was a good guy and gave sound advice. Uh, whether you like him or not, he was looking out for the president's interests. Now, I realize a lot of Trump supporters don't believe that, but even people who have been in the room in the White House will say that, that Spicer was looking out for the president's interests as he saw the president's interests, uh, whether you disagree with him or not.
The problem is that it's the people who are causing the problem are not the ones who are being purged. And the reason that the ones who are causing the problem can't be purged is because they're family. Jared Kushner is a serious part of the problem right now. Jared Kushner is being looked at by the special counsel. Uh, Don Jr. is being looked at by the special counsel. It's not these people in the White House. It's the family members. And the president relies on these family members. At the same time, uh, what I talked about yesterday, that uh, the president showed no loyalty to Jeff Sessions that was causing problems in the White House. Uh, part of me just doesn't think there, it's a coincidence that Spicer threw in the towel at 10 o'clock this morning after this tirade over several days about Jeff Sessions. There's a signal of one-way loyalty. The president's not going to extend loyalty in return. And People just don't want to deal with it anymore. They're getting tired of this six months in. Uh, Mike Simpson, one of the uh, squishy Republicans in Congress, was given a quote or gave a quote yesterday that uh, you would think that the, the president would learn on the job, but we're all seeing the president. He's not going to learn on the job. It's going to be this way the entire four years. Uh, members of Congress aren't happy with the president. They're not happy with his performance, but... The president's base remains deeply happy with the president, and that begs the question that we should explore tonight. Does the president understand the American people better than many of the pundits? Because, you know, I, I mentioned yesterday the polling that 75% of media coverage is going to Russia and only 6% of the public cares about the issue. Does the president just count? Does he know intuitively that he can get away with everything he's doing, that he doesn't have to... Uh, he, he doesn't have to make a fight against the press on the Russia issue because the public's going to give him a pass. I mean, th there is some suggestion in the polling that he could do that, that he just doesn't care. But if that's the case, why is he behaving the way he's behaving? Because I don't think he's guilty of anything, but he's not behaving like an innocent person. And we should explore that. It is 27 after the hour. I have a confession. I bought my wife a motorcycle. I know. I did not want to do it. But I figured at this point it was the only way to get her to shut up. She she pulled the I have cancer card. She wants a motorcycle. Uh, who am I to, to deprive her of a motorcycle? I mean, I wish I could get life insurance on her, but I, that's not an option at this point. But... Uh, Got her motorcycle, Harley Davidson Fat Boy. That's what she wanted, a 2017. Uh, I am I'm not thrilled about it, but she is quite happy. So uh, we have a motorcycle in the house. No, I am not planning on riding. In fact, I've got an insurance rider on me that I can't even ride on a motorcycle. I don't believe. I know there are certain sorts of airplanes I can't fly on and uh, certain heights on ladders I can't climb. I'm pretty sure not flying on, not riding a motorcycle is one of those as well. Um, in any event, I wouldn't want to anyway, but she is quite happy. So when we come back, I want to switch gears a little bit before we get back into the politics of the day and the news of the day. Uh, I want to talk to you about Dunkirk. I did go see it last night. Uh, I will give you a very short review of the movie. Uh, I will just give you a very short take here and tell you uh, it is not for kids, although it is probably the only war movie I can remember being made in the last 20, 30 years uh, that is not filled with blood and guts. They, you, you don't see bleeding. You, you don't see guts spilling. Uh, none of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are some people who die, but I, let me just tell you about this movie, Dunkirk, when we come back.
I just, as a complete side note to anything, a buddy of mine sent me this and I have passed it on. Uh, Charlie, you got to check your instant messenger if you haven't seen it. Some dude is tweeting uh, his one of his best friends like marriage meltdowns that's happening live or so. Um, and long story short, guy gets married to girl whose dad is Baptist preacher. Guy says he doesn't drink and, and has given up gambling, uh, leaves his laptop open, and wife sees that he's still gambling. So he's been in Applebee's getting really drunk and was trying to go home and confront her preacher daddy. And all of his friends have intervened and essentially have kidnapped him now. <laughs> this is bizarre. Oh, my goodness. Light reading for a Friday afternoon. It is Eric Erickson here. It is 40 after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Before I do anything else, I told you guys yesterday I was going to see Dunkirk, and I have seen it. Now, let me set the stage for you. I'm assuming most of my listeners would know this, but if if you're new here, you got stuck, you, you don't know how to change the channel, I don't know. Uh, Dunkirk was the retreat from continental Europe uh, by the British. They had gone into Europe to try to assist uh, during the Nazi invasion of Western Europe, and they had been pushed to the sea by the Nazis, and they were stuck on the beach at Dunkirk. And Hitler made a fateful decision to instead head south and invade Paris and take over France and figured he could get back to the Brits uh, as the Germans were advancing on them. They were completely surrounded. And they had to get off the shore. Well, the problem was they were surrounded at sea as well. And uh, Nazi U-boats were sinking ships. So they rounded up every available British small boat they could. I mean, families taking their boats and sailing across the English Channel to Dunkirk. You could, on a clear day, see Dover, the White Cliffs of Dover. You could see it. And these guys are stuck on the beach for a week trying to get off, near starving, and they're able to retreat. Uh, 300,000 people. They thought they would only be able to get 30,000 off. They were able to get 300,000 off. And this is the where Churchill gave his famous speech 77 years ago this month that uh, we will fight them in the cities, we will fight them on the country, we will fight them on the shore, we will fight them in the hills, we will never, never, never surrender. Dunkirk, it was the, the reason for that speech. Because of Dunkirk, Churchill's cabinet wanted to sue for peace with Hitler and surrender. And he fought them. Uh, in fact, they tried to have a secret meeting without him so that they could convince the king to surrender. And Churchill found out about it and, and went in and raised hell and gave that famous speech and basically put them in a box so they couldn't. And they were able, the, the British citizens sailed to Dunkirk, evacuated the troops on the beach, and uh, the rest is history. So Christopher Nolan, who made the Dark Knight series, uh, made um, oh Memento, um, all sorts of movies, and, and a lot of them just have mixed up timelines, and that's kind of what he's known for, is taking multiple timelines and weaving them to a point where they all come together. He's done this with Dunkirk, where you have three stories that he's telling. The first story is about the men stuck on the beach for that week. The second story is about a father and his son and the son's friend who hop on the family boat to sail across the channel to Dunkirk 
on the day of the evacuation. The third story is about a pilot, Tom Hardy, the, the actor, plays the pilot um, with, with two other pilots. And in the last hour of the evacuation, how they're flying overhead trying to fight off the Nazis who are trying to drop bombs on the ships. And the stories eventually come together magnificently. I, I, so this movie is not gory. There is no blood. There is no guts. Nolan focuses on the evacuation. He doesn't focus on the horror of war. So if you're one of those people who can't take a movie because of blood and guts, this movie does not have blood and guts. You, there are a couple of people who die, but they're not graphic deaths. Uh, not a, uh, you, you never see blood in this movie, uh, except for one ancillary bit. Um, it, but it's not somebody getting murdered or anything like that by the Nazis. It, it, it you, you don't have a uh, you don't have a protagonist whose character is developed. You have a protagonist who you follow through the evacuation, but you don't even know his name. His name is never given. He's just a soldier. If a best actor award could be given. To a music score, the musical score in this movie would win the Best Actor Award because it is the music that builds the tension in this movie. It is the 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 music that race causes your heart to race. I mean, you sit there the entire from the from the very first minute of this movie until the last thirty seconds of this movie. There is a weight on your chest the entire time. It is more intense. Uh, and, and edge of your seat gripping than a horror movie, than a thriller. It is absolutely just one of the most intense movies I've ever seen. And at the end of this movie, something happened that I, it is rare to ever see this in a movie theater. The movie ended and not a single soul got out of their chair. No one said a word. You literally could hear the entire theater exhale at the same time. And then people just started clapping. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And I will tell you this, and, and I rarely will say this about a movie. This is a movie that you need to see on the big screen. It is it is the movie we need to be reminded that, yes, there are people who can still tell compel, compelling stories in movies without superheroes and sequels. And this is a movie made for the big screen. Go see it on the biggest screen you can possibly see it on. If you can find it on an IMAX theater where it shows it in 70 millimeter film, go see it there. Pay whatever price you need to pay to go see it at that movie theater. I, I rarely ever say that about a movie. This is one of those movies that you just, you it will not, even if you have a big screen TV like I do, you still need to go see it at a movie theater. The, the sound, the music... The way the violin suddenly becomes a machine gun and back, it just, the whole thing is an immersive experience. It is really a brilliant, brilliant movie. You know, one of the funniest things about radio is that there's no rewind button by and large unless you get the podcast. And so I'm talking about Dunkirk, the movie, and as I'm talking about it, people are calling in wanting to know what movie I'm talking about. Dunkirk. <laughs> um, it, it really, uh, y'all, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of the movie. Um, it is a, it, it's a good movie. 
but I'm not going to dwell uh, on a movie review. There is a lot of other news out there that I want to get to when we come back. Uh, and the biggest thing that I think we need to discuss is the Night of the Long Knives. While I was in Dunkirk last night, the president took out the Long Knives and started axing his legal team and his communications team and his uh, damage response team. Uh, they were quitting while he was firing them. It was a messy night. And uh, let me say this. I don't think the president is guilty of any crime. And I have to preface what I'm about to say with that. I don't think the president is guilty of any crime. He sure is acting guilty of something, though. And that's the problem, and I think I know why, and I want to explain that when we come back here on WSB. It's 6.09. I'm Eric Erickson. This is a Friday evening in Atlanta, and it happens to be Atlanta's Evening News here on WSB. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of this program, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. A very quick check of radar. Austell, Lithia Springs, Powder Springs, there's a storm between you. It is a big thunderhead, and it is uh, basically stretches from Powder Springs down to Lithia Springs, but that's it in the listening area. Well, no, as the radar refreshed, just to the west of Hampton, down there north of Griffin, there's a little shower. But otherwise, that's it. You're, you're good. Now, we've got to move on because we need to talk about the president's behavior. Because here's the thing. I, you know... I, I have said, and I, I maintain, and I, I have no reason to think otherwise, that there's been no crime committed by President Trump. There's been no crime committed by President Trump family that I'm aware of. I mean, this whole idea of um, uh, collaboration with the Russians, whatever, it, it, it's not a crime. There's been no crime. The left doesn't have any crime. In fact, there was a Democratic congressman on CNN earlier today who said they have spent way too long focusing on Russia. The Democrats have, and it's time to move on. There's no there there. Um, but they're not behaving like innocent people. They're, they're not. I mean, I think we should admit that. Listen, all of the problems that the Trump administration is facing right now are self-inflicted errors, largely self-inflicted by the Trump family, not by staff. I mean, just take the Donald Trump Jr. situation. Let's just take the Donald Trump Jr. situation and look at this under the microscope. How do we know about the situation? Because Jared Kushner and his lawyers let it be known. That's how we know. And then what did Donald Trump Jr. do? He released all of the emails. And he feigned transparency. And th this is, uh, honestly, this is the most maddening, infuriating part. If you're a Trump supporter, you should be really hacked off about this. Donald Trump Jr. made a big deal of transparency, made a big deal of full disclosure, and it was feigned. Because what happened next? 
He didn't release all the names of the people in the meeting. He didn't. And so the press was allowed a week of coverage to tell us first there were four people, then there were five people, then one of them happened to be a Russian spy or a Soviet spy, no less. And then there were eight people, and then we had two days of trying to figure out who the, the sixth, seventh, and eighth person were, and then we found out who they were. It wasn't the Trump team that disclosed them. It was the media on a witch hunt, and it allowed a story that could have been over and done within a day to stretch on for more than a week. And now we've got Robert Mueller turning and looking at this when it wasn't on the radar. This isn't bright. It's not smart at all. And now what do we have? We have a night of the long knives has happened last night while I was at the movies. The president has made a huge purging of his legal and PR team. Y'all, listen, so much of what's going on now is unforced. I mean, let's take the example of last night. The president fired his personal lawyer. And along with firing his personal lawyer, his PR, outside PR team, Mark Corallo and company, they've quit. And uh, they quit in the process of, you can't fire us because we're quit. we've are we quit. That's essentially what's happened. And the PR team has been whispering, if you've known where to look in the media and the background sources, uh, they've been saying that the problem here is not the president. The problem is his kids are fighting with each other. And it's the fighting of the kids with each other that's causing the problem. Jared and Ivanka versus Eric and Don Jr. And the president's not being served. Folks, we were promised a wall. Where's the wall? We were promised repeal of Obamacare. Where's repeal? We were promised tax reform. Where's tax reform? The entire president's agenda has been held hostage to the screw-up, to this unforced error. And what's the president doing? You know, if I were president of the United States and the media was having a field day about me collaborating with the Russians, colluding with the Russians to steal the election, I probably would not be having chummy meetings with Vladimir Putin and with the Russian ambassador in the White House. It seems like the president's just trying to egg on the press. Now, here's the thing. I don't think there's, I do not think the president's guilty of a crime. I think what's happening is that we have a president who is deeply, bitterly angry because he beat the woman that everyone said could not be beaten. He beat the Clinton dynasty. And no one's willing to give him credit. No one's willing to give him his due. They're all saying, well, you didn't do it. The Russians stole it. Russians didn't steal the election. There's no evidence the Russians stole the election. And yet there's this this ongoing allegation that the Russians stole the election, that that's the only reason Donald Trump could have won. And he's angry about that. And he's angry that there's a witch hunt. He's angry that people will not accept his win. And so he's lashing out and he's doing things to rub it in their face. He's, he's essentially shooting them the middle finger. Because no one's giving him credit for doing what he did beating Hillary Clinton when no one thought he could. But the way he's going about it now, having these chummy little get-togethers with Vladimir Putin, inviting the Russian ambassador over, telling them things that he probably shouldn't, doing all of these things, I would not do that if I were him. Because all it does is it continues the feeding frenzy. Now, maybe the president understand something the rest of us don't. I mean, so many of us, myself included, didn't think he could win, and he did. Maybe he knows the public better than than everyone else. I'm not sure that's the case, though. 
I mean, it is certainly true that the media is giving 75% of its attention to Russia and only 6% of the American public thinks that's the big issue. But 10% of the public thinks immigration is a big issue and we're not getting anything done on that. 13% of Americans think health care is a big issue. We're not getting anything done on that either. If the president's going to, to rub the media's nose in the Russia story, he at least needs some tangible legislative wins. And we're not getting those because of the unforced errors from the White House. This has nothing to do with Republicans in Congress. It's a White House that doesn't know how to lead. And all of the people who can give the president good advice, they're either quitting or they're being fired. Because they're not tired of the president, they're tired of the interference of the president's kids. This isn't a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. And it's a disservice to the president. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the way the president is acting, the way he's acting with Russia, the way he's behaving, the way he's going on Twitter tirades, the decisions he's making, this is the behavior of an addict who refuses to undergo the intervention. This is the behavior of a man who needs an intervention and he doesn't recognize he needs the help. So he's not willing to get the help. And until the president is willing to recognize he has a problem and that he needs help and that he needs to trust outsiders, the situation is not going to get any better. It's not. And it's going to be deeply frustrating for Republicans headed into 2018. Now, I think the polling out there suggests that the Democrats probably, they're not going to take back the Senate. They may not even take back the House. Because as much as people are frustrated with the president, they're deeply angry with liberals trying to tell them how to live their lives. But whether the Democrats take back Congress or not next year, just consider this. Just fixate on this one issue. The Republicans control the House of Representatives. They control the Senate. And they control the White House. We are six months and one day into this administration and not a single major piece of legislation has been passed, not because of the filibuster, not because of the Democrats, but because Republicans cannot agree amongst themselves. That's a real problem. It is 26 after the hour. This Scaramucci thing, uh, people are continuing to circulate clips of all the negative things he said about the president. Not that it matters, I would suppose. I, I, I think that there's enough polling data out there that we can surmise fairly accurately that Trump supporters don't care. As long as they feel like they got a fighter in the White House, and as long as they feel like the Trump team's going to fight. And notice I say feel and not think here. This is a growing pet peeve of mine, by the way. People saying I feel like instead of I think. I don't want to know what your feelings are. I want to know what you think. But it is people who feel, they feel like they've got a fighter in the lines. They don't really think it. This is a, the Trump presidency is an emotional response. And they feel like there's a fighter in the White House. Finally. They don't care that nothing's getting done in Washington because people are upset. And as long as the people in Washington are upset that the status quo has been rocked, even though it really hasn't been, the swamp has not been drained. It's been turned into a lake. I mean, you now got recreational paddling around the, the Washington swamp, courtesy of Corey Lewandowski and the Trump administration and all those people. I mean, K Street's having a blast. 
the people feel like something's happening. They don't think it, they feel. And that's part of the problem here, the emotional response to what's going on in Washington. And it's going to do nothing but hurt people ultimately. It is 39 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. So are you ready for the weekend? Because I am deeply ready for the weekend. Uh, There is so much... Uh, so we're, we are finally able to sell our old house, which is why Christy could get her motorcycle. And now we got to go over and finish clearing things out. You guys, I mentioned this yesterday. And I just, I got to dwell for another moment here on the absurdity of Dana Rohrbacher, who believes that there was a Martian colony. Now... I know we're not supposed to talk about Rohrbacher because he's a supporter of the president's, even though he's a Russian stooge. But the man believes there was a ancient Martian colony and that it apparently there's archaeological evidence on Mars that the Mars rover has found. And the man believes this because he read it on the Internet or someone read it to him over the Internet. Um, I, if this was a Democrat, we would be having a field day. We would. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We would be having an absolute field day if this were a Democrat doing this. But this is part of the problem I have with the tribalism these days, the partisan politics is the guy's an idiot. He is a Russian apologist. He gets his marching orders for the Kremlin. And yet we're all supposed to ignore him. We should not be ignoring this guy. We should be trying to drive him out of Congress. In fact, he's not alone. For seven years, the Republican Party has told us what? They were going to repeal Obamacare. For seven years, they've told us this. And what are they doing? They're not doing anything. I mean, the vote that they have on the plan that they had before, say, wouldn't repeal Obamacare. You know what we need to do? We need to go back to ruthlessly primarying Republicans in Congress. And now there's a president of the United States who has shown every propensity to want to challenge the establishment as well. And maybe he will campaign. You know, I was friends with Fred Thompson, rest his soul. Uh, Back in 2008, Fred ran for president, and I supported him. He just a good guy, all-around good guy. He and his wife, Jerry, both super people. And one of the things I encouraged Fred to do was to, in order to try to gain traction for his campaign, because he believed it behind the scenes, is that some of these bad Republicans needed to be challenged. And I tried to tell Fred that he should go into some of these states and endorse the opponents to incumbents. It would get him free press, and it would make him all of the right friends and all of the right enemies. And he didn't want to do it, and I understood why he didn't want to do it. It was too much rocking the boat for Fred, even though he was far more conservative privately than I I think publicly he let on. And then Jim DeMint came along and started challenging people, and of course he made all sorts of enemies in in the Senate. But we wouldn't have Ted Cruz without him. We wouldn't have Mike Lee without him. We wouldn't have Rand Paul without him. And even some of the guys who aren't quite as conservative as them, Marco Ruby or Pat Toomey, we wouldn't have them without 
to admit we would have people far worse. It was the Republican establishment that backed people like Lisa Murkowski, who ran as an independent against a Republican because they wanted a liberal Republican. And these are the people now blocking the repeal of Obamacare. Y'all, this... We're not getting anything done in Washington, and it's not the conservatives who are blocking things. It's the liberal and moderate Republicans who are blocking things still. And it is the liberal and moderate Republicans who for years have been telling us they too wanted to repeal Obamacare. And now, when push comes to shove, we're seeing that they really don't. And the only way we're going to be able to get anything done is if we beat these people in primaries and replace them with better Republicans. Now, we don't need Christine O'Donnell's. We need to vet better these conservatives. But I think conservatives still need to stand up. They still need to challenge. Just because there's a Republican in the White House now does not mean that we should stop challenging Republicans in Congress. In fact, I would say, if anything, it means we should challenge more of them because we need people, when the president offers up conservative policy proposals, to advance them. Where is tax reform? Where is the wall? Where is repeal? Nowhere on any of them. And not because of the president, but because of Congress. Not because of the White House staff, but because of the congressional staff. We're never going to get done the things we want in Washington unless we're willing to fight our own side. One of the things Trump supporters have said all along, and it is an an emotional response, is that they want a president who fights. You should fight, too. You should fight against the congressional Republicans who won't repeal Obamacare. You should go out and find or do it yourself. Stand up and run for office against these guys. Because, you know, we can't say anymore that, that you'll, no one can get elected. You can't get elected. I mean, people said that about Donald Trump. Somebody's got to fight these establishment Republicans who keep telling you they're going to do things. And then when push comes to shove, they don't. They never thought Donald Trump was going to get elected president. And so they could safely say they wanted to repeal Obamacare knowing that Hillary Clinton would veto it and it wouldn't actually get repealed. It was a safe vote for them to vote against Obamacare, knowing that it was never actually going to go away. Now it's not a safe vote, and they're being called on to keep their promises, and they're not, because they lied to you and me all along. And somebody needs to stand up to them, and somebody needs to primary them, and somebody needs to beat them. Maybe we all need to move to China. China has banned Justin Bieber from the country to purify the nation. The Chinese may be onto something. They may be commie SOBs, but they have banned Justin Bieber from the country. I mean, it's just a thought. In any event, before we get out of here tonight, if you want to sign up for the daily email that I send out, you need to text WSB to 444-999. And... I actually have a run out of stuff to say. I want to say this. I still think that you guys need to band together, and not just those of you in Georgia. I'm very mindful that we have a very large podcast audience around the country. And I think that we need to go out and find people to run against some of these incumbent Republicans. They're terrible, terrible people. And, I mean, they may be very nice personally, but they're terrible members of Congress. They've been lying to us for seven years now. 
and that's very very clear and you know the other thing is the you've got all these syncophants for the republican establishment i mean who come out and for example blaming mike lee i mean you got hugh hewitt on msnbc saying mike lee has preserved obamacare mike lee's done no such thing it was the senate republican leadership preserving obamacare i just these people need to be beat and their little courtiers just, I mean, that's another reason these people need to be beat. You see, one of the dirty little secrets in Washington is that much of the press depends on access to leaders. And so they suck up and act as stenographers. And so a lot of the reporters, the things that you're reading, they're, they're essentially stenographers for members of leadership of both parties. You don't get what's really going on behind the scenes because they just tell, write whatever the leadership tells them to write. These people need to be challenged in primaries and replaced with better people. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the nation's most listened to talk station here in Atlanta. I'm joined now by Congressman Massey of Kentucky. Uh, Welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Now, I mean, I've got a pile of questions here for you, and I really want to get started before anything else. Uh, with the uh, Hodgkinson shooting from several weeks ago, which amazingly faded very quickly from the media, uh, but you and a number of other members of Congress now are pushing legis- uh, concealed carry legislation that it seems like a no-brainer in light of what happened and would really like to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know what? This legislation is, is a no-brainer e- even without that tragic event that occurred. But I think that event brings to the forefront, uh, and hopefully we don't forget it, because Steve Scalise is still recovering um, in in the um, hospital. So hopefully we don't forget it. But here's the bill that I've introduced. It would extend reciprocity from Washington, D.C. to every state in the union. That is to say, if you have a concealed carry permit from your state, the District of Columbia has to recognize it if my bill passes. Now, I want to be clear, this is not just for congressmen. This is for anybody, any law-abiding citizen who has a concealed carry permit from their state would be able to carry in Washington, D.C. The shooting does highlight the importance of it because even though the shooting happened in Virginia, everybody there except for the security detail was was disarmed because they started their day in Washington, D.C., And we're going to end their day in Washington, D.C., where there's a virtual prohibition on carrying a a firearm for just about anybody. uh, The Washington, D.C. has issued only 112 permits ever for concealed carry here. Now, you know, you say that, and it's been several years now since the Heller decision that involved Washington, D.C. The Supreme Court declares the Second Amendment is an individual right, and it seems like the district has done everything possible to still make it as difficult as possible for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves in what is increasingly still one of the crime capitals of the nation, not just the nation's legislative capital. That's right. Heller struck down the Washington, D.C. gun control regimen, and they have built it back up, and they've tried to walk the line of constitutionality, but frankly, they have failed. In fact, a federal judge ruled just uh, three years ago that their, the bills that they – or the legislation they had passed since Heller was actually unconstitutional as well. And the interesting thing is 
they didn't appeal that to the Supreme Court. They went back and rewrote their gun control laws because they didn't want to set another precedent in the Supreme Court, and they settled it with the lower court. But even now, I think their their laws are unconstitutional. Now, it pains me to say they wrote the legislation or they passed these laws because because the Constitution says that Congress is responsible for the for all legislation of the federal city. Now, when they had written the, uh, the when they were writing the Constitution, it wasn't called the District of Columbia, but it says the federal city, all legislative matters shall be reserved to Congress. And so, this is our purview. It's our re- responsibility as congressmen to write laws for the capital city that will allow us to meet here in safety and allow people to come and visit us in safety to petition their government without fearing for their life when they're here. Well, I have for the longest time questioned why Democrats and Republicans alike have given such free reign to the district government when uh, it's clear more and more they they just behave often like a kleptocracy. Every time I go to Washington, the the city government seems more dysfunctional. And and it's one of the most unsafe cities in the country. I mean, they're – and by the way, this is typical of gun-free zones. 98% of mass shootings since 1950 have occurred in a gun-free zone or somewhere that law-abiding citizens were prevented from carrying a firearm. If you look out into the states, these, these shootings almost always happen in a school or a theater or a church. Somewhere that the, where the perpetrator knew they were hunting unarmed victims. Now the and Washington D.C. itself is a virtual gun-free zone. The entire District of Columbia, which is interesting, because if you cross the river into Virginia, here you have a state where that recognizes concealed carry permits from all the other 49 states. So if somebody says, "Oh, there'll be mayhem and you know disorder in the District of Columbia if we recognize the, the concealed carry permits from the other states," well. Tell me why that's not happening in Virginia, because it's not. It's safer in Virginia than it is when you cross the (laughs) river into D.C., I can tell you that. Funny how that always works. Well, listen, let me pivot here because I want to get your take on the health care situation as well. Um, It it seems deeply frustrating that the conservatives in the House can can get some major wins through amendments on the House's health care proposal. And then it gets to the Senate, and it doesn't seem like we're going to get a repeal of Obamacare after seven, eight years of... Republicans saying they wanted to repeal it. Well, the depressing thing is that as a, as a congressman, when I got here, I realized we have 240 Republicans in the House, but we don't have 218 conservatives. That's the magic number. I mean, sometimes, though, you can get the wrong people to do the right thing, and uh, they're failing to, to make that happen in the Senate. They're not able to get the wrong people to do the right thing, and they don't have 50 to conservatives over there in the Senate, even though they have 52 Republicans. If you want an example of this, look last week in the House. We had a bill to, to prohibit taxpayer-funded sex changes in the military. It was an amendment that Vicki Hartzer from Missouri offered to the uh, defense authorization bill. It failed. I'm, I'm still in shock that it failed. Every Democrat voted for taxpayer-funded sex changes in the military and 24 Republicans. 
that tells you how far behind we are the eight ball up here in D.C. in conflating Republicans with conservatives. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I've noticed ever since George W. Bush was elected in particular that uh, the Washington media and so many people use conservative and Republican as synonyms in a way they don't use liberal and Democrat as synonyms. No, they don't. But ironically, uh, I think liberal is more uh, synonymous with uh, Democrats than than conservative is with Republicans. Yeah, yeah, it's always funny to me that it's easier to find a a pro-gay marriage, pro-abortion Republican than it is a pro-traditional marriage, pro-life Democrat. But yet Republicans are supposedly the ones with the small tent. I know I know our leadership is worried about our majority. They're worried about losing the majority if they put some of the members from marginal districts on the record, for instance, for full repeal, now that it's a real vote and not a, a fake vote. But look, what's the use of having a majority if we don't take those votes? It is so frustrating to me. I have been here for seven months, and I can tell you the freshmen who got elected who are here. I, I've been here four years, but the freshmen are really frustrated. They've been here seven months. They came in here with President Trump on an agenda to uh, repeal Obamacare, to cut not just reform taxes, to cut taxes and to increase uh, border security. None of that has happened, and it's not because we failed, the votes failed on the floor. It's because we failed to vote. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what good is having a majority if you're not going to use it? And you're right, it does seem like there's this calculated effort to play it safe for people who are in marginal seats. Well, uh, that's just disaffecting Republicans abroad because, I mean, we were told if you guys got the House, they'd repeal it. And then, well, you got to have the Senate as well. So we gave them that, well, we got to have the White House as well. Well, now you've got all three and still it's there. It's, we're go- our leadership has gone beyond playing it safe. In fact, here with the budget and the and the appropriations bills, instead of trying to do appropriations bills this summer, they've got this bright idea that we should just do the omnibus now, which is really the emergency uh, you know, thing that you do. You do an omnibus if you can't pr- pass appropriations bills. I say, you know, our team got the ball. We finally got the ball, and our coach says that we need to punt on first down. That's more than playing it safe. That's playing it stupid. <laughs> I will give you that. So what do you think the state of play is right now on health care? Um, well, obviously, it's it's bound up in the Senate. I, I agree with those that say we should split this vote up. Anybody, any Republican or anybody who says that we can't repeal Obamacare without a replacement first, is basically is basically saying that Obamacare is better than what we had before Obamacare. They would prefer Obamacare over pre-Obamacare, in which case that just doesn't make sense. That's not what we campaigned on. They're basically saying they should have or would have voted for Obamacare if they knew it would turn out this way. I know that's that's logic, and I shouldn't be applying it here in Washington, D.C., but that's that's what you're saying when you say we can't repeal it without – doing something that doesn't resemble what we had before Obamacare. And and I, I believe that we should split the bill up. If you want to pass something, and I said this three or four months ago, there's actually three bills inside of here. I know people are saying split it in two or repeal it or replace. But the biggest component of, of the whatever you want to call it, the health care bill in the House and the Senate, is actually Medicaid reform. It's rolling back the biggest entitlement expansion that this gov- that our country has ever seen. It's a trillion dollar uh, order that we're talking about. I would split the bill into three. 
I would have a repeal vote. I would have Medicaid reform vote. And by the way, that might not be the same 52 or 60 senators uh, in the Senate. Those may be a different 50 that vote for Medicaid reform and, and that vote for a straight up repeal. And in the House, it might not be the same 218 uh, Republicans. But then after you do the Medicaid reform and you do the repeal, there is a chance to get Democrats to come to the table. But don't ask me and don't ask the Freedom Caucus, who, who campaigned against socialized medicine, to come up with a form of socialized medicine when you get around to the replacement. Yeah, that seems like they what they want the House Freedom Caucus guys to do is to abandon their principles and, and claim bipartisanship, or at least they've got the whole Republican Party in line when they're never asking the, the centrist, moderate, and liberal Republicans to have to play it safe or give give things up to move the ball forward. It's it's always the conservatives, it seems like, who have to make the sacrifices. It, it's, it's never the moderates that are asked to, to take one for the team, and uh, – you know, they that's what we need to start doing. I think we need more conservative leadership here in the House. I'm, I just can't tell you how frustrated I am with the leadership here. Uh, I probably don't need to remind you this, but I am the only Republican who did not vote for Paul Ryan on January 3rd. I kind of saw this coming when I was on the conference call between uh, when he told us he was uh, abandoning our, our Republican candidate a month before the race. Uh, whether you like the candidate or not, I don't think tactically it was a good move for us here in the House and the Senate. Well, it, it, this past entire year has been just crazy. And I mean, in my lifetime, I've never seen politics like this. And I don't know if this is a new normal <laughs> or a deviation from normal. <laughs> I, I think it's uh, I'm afraid it's the new normal. Unfortunately, the dysfunction. Ugh. And I and I and I lay it at the feet of our leadership here in the House. Again, it's not because votes have failed on the floor. It's because we failed to vote. We haven't voted on on funding a wall. We haven't voted on a, a, a straight up repeal. We haven't voted on a tax cut or any form of tax reform. Why aren't we voting on these things? Well, I'm glad you asked it because I've been wondering as well, particularly with tax reform. I've been talking to members of Congress, in fact, members of leadership in in the House who have been talking about tax reform now since uh, before the election last November, and I have yet to even hear of a plan. Well, you know, the revenue neutral, why, why should that be a conservative thing to be revenue neutral? If it's revenue neutral, that means if somebody's taxes go down, somebody else's taxes go up to make up the difference. That's almost certainly what it means. I think we should have a tax cut and a spending cut, and then you, then it could be deficit neutral. I think that's far more conservative than building in the size of government that we have now by assuring its revenue source. I think it would be far more uh, wise to cut the spending at the same time you cut taxes, and that will be stimulative. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, Congressman, I've got to leave it there with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to talk to the folks here in Atlanta and around the nation with The Resurgent. It's an honor to be on your show. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.